I'm Verite, and you're listening to Anatomy of an Artist, a podcast about people, the art they create, and the business behind their art. Hello, and welcome back to Anatomy of an Artist. My guest this week is songwriter and phenomenal vocalist, Kia Victoria. I've been such a fan of Kia's work for so long, I was excited to get to meet her through the screen to talk about her genesis as a songwriter and how she dealt with having her expectations let down by early experiences in the industry. We got to talk about ways in which Kia stays creative that are outside of the box of her original idea of what it meant to be a successful musician and how that path has led her to find out who she serves and why she serves them. I hope you guys love this conversation as much as I loved having it. I'm really curious, um, like, what is your daily life and schedule look like? Because I feel like COVID has kind of shifted what my daily routine was in creation and there's no touring. And so I'm curious what you're up to. Yeah. So yeah, routine is like really the bee's knees and is not to be toyed with. I'm learning as I age. <laughs> like mm-hmm. It's actually just necessary in all respects. But um, my day to day, I teach a fair amount of students voice. That's I was in a pedagogy class before we got on this call because I'm taking more singers into my care. And I'm like, I just need to know what the fuck time it is in terms of phonation and healthy sound production. And just for my own voice, as I live a life, um, it's super cool to just get into the the nitty gritty of all this stuff. So teaching is, I'd say every other day I'm engaging with that. Um, I am also finishing an album. So just mixing remotely has been a big part of my life. The engineers in London and then the guy that I created with is in Indiana. So we get on these little FaceTime calls and we send bounces back and forth and notes and stuff. So um, trying to make it as personal as possible in this time. And also I have no idea until it like happens as well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. For me, routine is key. And yeah. I feel like... I've always not necessarily fully depended on a routine as structured as I do now, Yeah. but being in the same place every day and wanting to feel productive and then feeling connected to people. Like I actually have to schedule that in because I can go two weeks without speaking to another human being because I live alone. And, uh, yeah, yeah. and so there's this sense of, okay, I need to schedule in time to make sure I'm being social because I'm in New York and it's, you know, 20 degrees out. Yeah, that's so different. Damn, I haven't been to New York. I moved in 2017. And yeah, it's so crazy how that was like, that was my lifeblood, New York. Like that's where like, you know, school and becoming a person. And I lived there as a child as well. So, but it feels, it feels so far away in every sense. Um, It's so wild. Yeah, I couldn't imagine being that cold (laughs) this time. I've gotten really soft. I'm not gonna lie. Like... (laughs) I can't bumps with with the frigidness. I feel like that's a common theme of New Yorkers who who move to LA. It's this sense of all of a sudden 
they become soft, especially with the weather. 1000%. I'm like, I got my parka, I got my headphones, it's 20 degrees, I'm going on a two mile walk. That's right. And it's it's sort of empowering. You're like, mother nature tried me and I clapped back. Like I, <laughs> there's, it was, yeah, to put on your big ass chunky coat, like get on the subway, <laughs> do whatever you're doing, pound the pavement all day. There's something beautiful about it. Nothing is New York, nothing will ever be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also, Definitely during quarantine, top of quarantine, I went through multiple uh, sort of emotional breakdowns, sort of like uh, ideological collapsing of what the fuck I thought anything was. Um, So meditation has been a huge part, even if it's just like 10 or 20 minutes in the morning. Like if I don't do that, it's very apparent. So just in terms of routine, um, that is something that I like cling to as just, just as, uh, just for sanity mostly. And yeah, it just makes everything better when you can just like put on a heart chakra tone and breathe for a second, you know? Yeah. You're not the first person I've talked to who has brought up meditation. And I feel like it's this consistent motivation for me of remembering that, oh shit, I, I, I need to go do that. It's always there. It's not going anywhere. I mean, I've always known it's good for me, you know, like drinking water, like, sure. Mm-hmm. But do I do that often? <laughs> not as much as I should. No, not as much, but we're trying. <laughs> we're trying. But yeah, it's just become like a good friend, a trusty steed of sorts. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Highly recommend for every single human living on planet Earth. I am curious what your idea of success was when you were younger and growing up. Mm. Mm. Definitely thought things would pop off when I was like 16. Like that was old, you know, when you're like 10 mm-hmm. and you're like, I'm going to be 16. I'm going to be a rock star <laughs> selling out whatever rooms I want. Um, yeah, definitely had that kind of fantastic, not, I guess it's not that fantasticalized because I've done these things in some respect, but I guess when you're younger, you just think things there's like a date and a time when things ought to just come to fruition. And then you go through life and like, yes, those things happen, but just not in the timeline or or place or space or circumstance that you thought. So to make that very long, not very clear answer clear, I guess I, I always knew I wanted to sing. I always knew I wanted to perform. Um, I was definitely doing a lot of musical theater though as a child. Like I didn't necessarily think that I could create my own music that was honestly a later development in my life sort of in college was when I made my first like my first shit and like had my own band like that when I was 18 is when that sort of started to become something that I thought I could do um but oh my god like I grew up in a very strict religious cult where I also thought I'd be married by the age of 21 and have some a few kids by 25 you know so Mm. that shit didn't go down either thankfully you know so yeah so definitely family, children, and a career. So yeah, definitely like domestic life, but also like rock star simultaneously is what I thought I would be doing at a much younger age. Can we just roll back to that cult comment really quick? <laughs> right, he's going to brush brush that over. Yeah, first off, there's a lot of curiosity there. So I'm going to frame this question in context of the rest of the podcast. Yes. How did growing up in said cult, please elaborate, um, affect how you perceived the outside world and maybe Mm. like the music industry and your perception of, you know, this kind of rock 
stroke pop stardom that you were looking up to? Yeah, wow. Um, so yeah, I grew up in a church called the Unification Church, um, founded by a Korean man named Reverend Moon in the early, I want to say, when was it founded? Like late 70s, early 80s? Um, so yeah, my parents joined it and I was sort of born into this sort of uh, way of viewing um, God and sexuality and it was very, uh, honestly, in real time, I'm still unpacking so many of the things that I just accepted as truth growing up, which was like, you know, no sex before marriage and just like nothing sensual ever, ever at any time, because that is like the root of all sin. And if you go mm -hmm. down that path, you will, you will die, essentially. I mean, that's a really crude way of putting it, but like um, low key, high key, a lot of just like accepting dogma, borrowed too like it was it's, it was called unificationism because in in i guess in theory it like unified all different types of theologies um and this was supposed to be the one like this was the convergence of all the ideals that like if you live by this like you are a pure person so there was a lot of um shame and guilt sort of like laced in the way that i was taught to sort of live um but with that too like a lot of family like i had all my church friends and like we all believe the same thing we all like said the same prayers in Korean every morning at 6 a.m. with our families and didn't think that was weird because that's just what we do. Um, so it's really interesting because I think obviously, I think there's good in all things and there's also just a lot of trash that gets passed off as like untouchable truth that I'm realizing truly still today is so far from loving. Um, all of that to say, I definitely, my parents always encouraged my dad's a drummer and my my grandmother was an opera singer and like music is definitely like in the family. So I never, with all the strictness and like, I always felt like music was close and it wasn't something I had to like fight for, like sneak cassettes into my bedroom because, mm -hmm. you know, music was very present in my life. Um, I guess in terms of the music industry, I don't know if I, I was just like, I'm, I love to sing and I love to sing for people and it's, I'm just going to do that. It wasn't really a question. <laughs> Um, but I really, I just lost my train of thought. Um, I, I understand that feeling of losing your train of thought. And it is strange, just the sidebar, like, where the fuck does it go? Where does it go, though? <laughs> <laughs> I just, like, looked off into the wall, like, and these sunflowers were dying over there. And I realized all the water is out of the vase. And I was like, okay, dying flowers. And then it just sort of <laughs> derailed. I think that there seems to be a common theme uh, amongst artists and probably amongst creatives, it's like these things that we experience and how we see the world when we're younger kind of shapes our expectations for our pursuits moving forward. Oh, yeah. And I think that your story is really interesting and so many stories of just like, this is the ideal that I had set out for myself. And then, like you said, you live life. You go and you have these experiences and you recognize, oh, just because Britney Spears was 16 when she was on my television doesn't mean right. that I'm going to be where she is when I'm 16. Exactly. It's so real. Expectations, man, they're actually not the jam. <laughs> like, <laughs> they just sort of set you up for dissatisfaction because... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and say 10 times out of 10, like things do not manifest the way that your brain assimilated it or like, you know, created it in your mind. 
And then sometimes it's better than what you expected, you know? Like, I feel... I'm trying to allow, it's this thing of like trying to be totally actively participating in my life and also leaving room for it to like reveal itself to me, you know, like that, I mean, yeah, that just feels like a balance that I'll be tr trying to strike into my grave, but um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. At least for, for myself, um, I have a tendency to very much limit myself because I... I guess I underestimate my own potential really at all times. Snaps for that. We need to make the room a little bigger and maybe like the ceilings a little taller so that there's yeah. space to grow and some skylights, you know what I'm saying? Some humidifiers just <laughs> Oof, I wish I had a skylight. Yeah. So at what point you said when you went to college is when you started writing your own music and kind of finding your perspective in that what was the first song you wrote and I guess tell me a little bit of the early process of getting into songwriting and the trial and error of that yeah yeah I definitely as a kid would like you know like make little ditties and like me and my sister would like put on plays for my parents like of just shit we made up um, so there was like an element of creation but never so focused in like, oh, I'm an artist and I have a voice and my collection of experiences can render this this thing. Um, but real talk to get into Clive, the Tisch school I was in at NYU, um, that was the first like proper, like, I got my little four chords on my piano. There's a verse, there's a pre, there's a chorus, you know, like I structurally, structurally like that. Um, so that was like end of high school. I was like, okay, I have to make this song if I want to get into this program. They said that I need original music. Oh shit, let me write an original song intentionally in this way for the first time. Um, so yeah, it was super scary because I, you know, like I said, I had my four chords. I, I'm <laughs> I'm still stumbling my way through guitar. She's been very sweet to me. Her name is Georgette, but that's a recent <laughs> development. Um, so yeah, a lot of just like not, believing that I had the ability to write kept me from writing for a really long time because I feel like singing like since I popped out has been just so natural and something I've fostered throughout um so I didn't you know it sucks to not really be good at something um obviously I had to be shitty for a while until it, it got better but and then, you know, going to a school like the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music at NYU, there's like all these people who've like, you know, have come in with record deals or just like been touring or play, you know, multi-instrumentalists. And, you know, we had all the technical stuff too of like learning all the different DAWs and like signal flow and mic and kick drums and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, whoa, I was just used to musical theater. You know what I'm saying? So I guess I spent a lot of time being scared of it. I spent a lot of time comparing myself to every other person in my program and everybody everywhere all the fucking time. Yeah, I mean, as I like became more of a person, I had more to say. <laughs> and yeah. I started saying those things and I found like my people, like my band, shout out to Alto Paulo. Um, and we just started to not to our, uh, just playing all over New York all the time. Like we were out in the streets, <laughs> yo, selling shit out. I was like, this is, this is it. Like we're stars. This is my own music. Like it was definitely like, wow. Uh, very much I was like I'm becoming who I am and I didn't even know that which what was your favorite venue to play in New York mm. 
I mean, Mercury Lounge does have a special place. Like that was, I, I feel there was a time when I was like, if you play Mercury, like it felt like one of those rites mm-hmm. rites of passage. So yeah, like first EP release. Honestly, the little rooms were always more. I mean, Ella Lounge, we all had to do it. We all had to do it just to say that we did it. But my God, that was a struggle. This is the funny thing of just like the stages of of coming up. It's every moment feels like the moment. And it feels like... It really does. It's all so precious. It's yeah. all so high stakes. And it's just like, oh my God, we're yeah. doing it. <laughs> I guarantee that like, you know, now when I can, you know, play for a thousand people and sell out in New York... Um, I feel that same sense of pressure and urgency that I did when I was a kid playing these clubs in New York. Like yeah. it means that much still and it still feels that weight. 100%. Are you kidding me? Even the little, the so far living room shows with the 50 people, like it all was yeah. so, it, meant, it all means so much. People gathering to share with you, like let's go. So I'm curious about your experience on The Voice and your perspective. Oh, she's done her research. I've done my research. (laughs) (laughs) And and your perspective going into that experience and your perspective coming out of that experience. Oh, girl. Well, let me tell you. Um, It was an interesting entry point because I was in the NYU and Harmonics at the time. We (laughs) auditioned for the like acapella version of that reality show. I can't remember the name of it. But I had a solo when we did it. So the same producers saw me do the thing. So they're like, oh, you don't even have to go through the cattle call. You can just come, whatever. It doesn't matter. I had this like expedited experience and thought I was important, LOL. Um, Carson Daly comes with the red envelope to my class and it's all so dramatic. And we shoot, we shoot all this B-roll and you just really start thinking they give a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, great, I'm gonna leave school and go do the voice. I made the top 120. So I'm just like posted up in LA for however long, poolside getting paid, thinking I'm like, this is it. Um, but oh my God, reality TV is trash. Don't don't sip the Kool-Aid, kids. Um, I definitely went into it thinking this would be an incredible opportunity. It, you know, everyone was like, this is like the real artist version of, you know, it's not American Idol, it's, it's the real deal. Um, so I definitely thought that just before, uh, so there's like, I think 45 people get in, in the blind audition cycle so yeah i'm i'm in costume hair and makeup they flew my family out like it's it's going down like we're ready um and i'm mic'd up i'm literally like about to be next up for the audition and then they like somebody like makes a call and they're like okay like turn around everybody go back to the trailers whatever so the last slot filled up before i was able to do Mm. what I was there to do. So yeah, didn't get to do the blind audition. Definitely felt like, so like I said, I grew up very like religious and prudy and like never had a boyfriend. This felt like I was being broken up with in the worst way, Mm. like courted, doted upon, like everything looks so fabulous to like, okay, your flight tomorrow's at 5 a.m., pack your shit, go back to New York, where I literally was de-enrolled from school. Hmm. And didn't have a dorm for that same reason and was like, oh my God, like, what's, what am I about to go back to Maryland? And just like, it was so, it was so, so dark. Like, I really, it was trash. I felt super disrespected and really heartbroken. But you know what? That's when I wrote, that's when I really started writing my sad songs. Mm -hmm. I wrote Rise 
for my first EP. It's on Bandcamp. Shout out to um, the Look Up EP. Um, no, I was like, I had this deep, deep pain that I hadn't really felt in this way. Like something so, you know, it was just so specific. And so from that, a lot of, a lot of really beautiful creation came from it. And, and I, I quickly realized like this was the biggest blessing to not be a part of this whole matrix of a show. So yeah, going into it, thought it was everything, realized it was truly a facade of a facade. Got dropped like it was hot. Really started writing my first music that I put out into the world after that period. And then I found my bandmates and da 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 da. So it sort of catalyzed me really feeling like an artist and a writer and like that I had some shit to say, mm-hmm. you know? That makes so much sense though. Just especially if you weren't, if, if you hadn't had that sort of personal heartbreak, I feel like a lot of what heartbreak is, and this is, I guess, a side tangent. It's like not feeling valued by someone that you value, right? Yeah, exactly that. And so it makes sense that it's actually that same experience because it's like you don't value me and my literal voice and like the thing that I hold dearest yeah it's like I trusted you like I gave you I fucking put everything away for this great so you don't have to say it but I'll say it fuck the voice Um. (laughs) (laughs) retweet yeah retweet um did you wind up going back to college oh yes honey I went to the dean and all of my professors (laughs) and I was like hey listen I, I, thank God I was in music school. So there was like, I went to do the thing that we're all here talking about in a very specific way that did not work out. But if you let me make up this work, I will, I will work my ass off to like catch up on the however many, I think it was like almost two months of, of class and stuff that I'd missed. But the thing about it, my production courses were year long. So it would have put me a whole ass year back, which would have just been so bad. But so, I told them, I went around and said my sob story, which is really just a true, real story. And they felt me. They were like, she's, we'll re-enroll you. The dean was really sweet. Like I got to go back into a dorm. I was just so grateful because yeah, it would have been whack to stop school for that reason at that time and not graduate with my peoples. So I did go back and that was my sophomore year. So right in the middle, I was like, come on, let me, let me keep doing this. Don't cut me off, please. I'm really curious. I feel like music school can be like a really brilliant ecosystem of creative people. I went to music school, but I I don't really count it because I was just working full time and made no friends. Where'd you Um, go? I went to SUNY Purchase. Oh, yes. Okay, neighbor. Um, Yeah, neighbor, basically. Um, But I like, again, I wasn't really participating within that ecosystem. But I feel like it's great for building connections and... Um, a network, but then I find with other people that I've talked to who maybe went to Berkeley or these different schools, once you get out into like the real harsh world, it's like not as kind as that ecosystem. So um, do you feel like college properly prepared you for like the realities of the music business? Yes and no. I, I definitely think, I feel like I had so much experience to well okay let me use english words and form a thought um i that's where i met the first people that i wrote music with and like 
creatively, I was like, oh, this is the thing. No, it definitely got me hip to things that otherwise I don't think I would have even considered. Just even getting a little more comfortable with technology, like being able to record my vocals and comp them like that. Mm-hmm. It's little, but it's big, yo. Like, yeah, certain just like baseline skills. I'm like, wow, this is great. I probably could have done this on YouTube if I really wanted to. But just being there with people learning and having teachers that like were encouraging in that um, was helpful. But as you said, like it is it is a winter wonderland. It's just, it is like a utopia of sorts. It's like all these kids, all hungry, all like out in the city. So yeah, I, I don't think that I would have found my like soul family music peeps had it not been for music school. I guess I would have found it in some other way, but I'll never know. Um, so I'm super grateful for that. But yeah, I just, you know, just because you're, just because like the production teacher thinks I'm great doesn't mean that like the motherfuckers outside who are the gatekeepers are going to care about my music. You know what I mean? So yeah. on the creative front, it's like, it's so, it's been so integral to my development, but there are just things until you, yeah, are out of that bubble of like, look like going after a degree. Like you just can't really prepare. They can try, they try, bless their hearts to yeah. prepare you for what what's to come. But it really is just you're in it or you're not. So Post school, did you have an intention for your project of like, okay, I have this solo project, I'm going to build it? Did you have intention to find partners, sign to a label? Did you have the intention of like being independent and creating an independent career? Like, where was your mind at? Yeah. So, in a lot of ways, I still, I felt there was a lot of development I could do without the structure of a label. There was just so much more performing and creating that I wanted to do with or without that. But I I think in the back of, at least in the back of my mind always, like, I'm like, I want to be global. And like, in order to do that, I need like global resources and global distribution and global this and that. And oftentimes that in my mind that registers as a label. So it, it was, it's still, it's, it's a weird thing because it's still something I'm like, what's really good? Because obviously these things are crumbling before our eyes, but like resources are resources are resources. But yeah, leaving school, I I was I was touring with this group called Postmodern Jukebox. Oh <laughs> yeah, do, I like, know them. Yeah, it was fun. I don't know why I laughed like that. It was corny, but it was fun. We um they do like the top 40 stuff, but like in a big band sort of arrangement. But it was lit. Like we were like all over Europe, like on the tour bus. I was very like, this is official as fuck, double decker life. Like mm-hmm. here I go, see me world. But meanwhile, singing covers. After the last show in Barcelona, I was like, I'm gonna stay in London and like play shows and like get my feelers out and just like see who I can meet. And then like ended up meeting my current management and like Sony ATV, that's where I signed my publishing with them. Um, So I was like, whoa, okay, London, like let's go. So kind of fresh out, I felt like, wow, anything's possible. And people are just like, you know, rallying around me and I have suddenly have a deal and I'm able to travel and write every day with new people in different rooms. And it was really like, it was amazing. Like London will always have a really soft spot in my heart because I feel like that was the first time, you know, I wasn't just writing with my homies from NYU. I was like coming in cold to some person I didn't really know, but we'd leave with a song that was actually lit, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just me and them. And so it was definitely a confidence builder. Um, all that to say, yeah, I wanted, I just, I feel like in ways my goal hasn't changed in terms of I want to be able to share 
with as many people as I can. <laughs> but I guess the I guess I'm realizing there's just so many ways. There's so many ways that aren't just like, yeah, Britney Spears on your TV screen at 16. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm I'm trying to be I'm out here. I'm trying to be all over this green earth, Lord God. First off, London has like a very special place in my heart too and because that's when where I started before I had management for anything I just flew out and I met with every major label and every major publisher because like a song of mine had like gotten circulated amongst that community and so I think that 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 market is just way more um I don't know, experimental and just open to things that aren't mm-hmm. those traditional structures. So I think that's really cool. Right, labels. I go, honestly, I go back and forth. Like, if I really just need to find the humans that I think are going to take really good care and are really about to like fight. Not just, yeah, if they're at a label and like I feel the connection, like that's cool. But I, like with something like Sony, I signed with them a month into, you know, the deal. My A&R left the company and moved to L.A. And so it was like here I was with like, you know, money to do some stuff. And uh, this name that, you know, maybe more people will read our emails when we send them. But the person that's supposed to be really on the ground connecting me with other writers and other producers like dipped out from jump. Mm-hmm. So I quit. I early on was like, oh, okay, like Sony doesn't mean shit if there's not people there that give a shit. Yeah. Um. So that's no like all bless Sony. I'm sure <laughs> everybody's experience is different. My particular experience, I just felt a little. No one's really looking out. I think that's a common theme amongst these, you know, publishers and labels and everything. That it's this idea of. It's not the people that are broken within that system. Like, there's a lot of really phenomenal people who are, like, doing their job. Fantastic people. I, and I'm, shout out to Luke Magrellis. Like, what a great guy. I was really excited to work with him. <laughs> but I do think that what's really interesting is that your dependency isn't on those people. For instance, like, Kia Victoria is your whole world right? This is your, your life. Um, you know, the mm-hmm. Verite project my is like my whole life and somebody who works at Sony ATV, Sony ATV isn't their whole life. And so that's the fundamental difference. You better say it. That is the constant dichotomy. Yes. A hundred percent. Even when people refer to like, oh, so we're working on like your project, like the, you know, the Kia Victoria project, like my soul like yeah my life my <laughs> very act like my growing body and mind and heart it's just very strange um yeah that's that yeah but I do feel like that is the I guess reality that I had to come to when I was starting out is like this very stark realization that no one's going to care about me and my music and my art and my life as much as me and so Anybody who I, you know, kind of 
sell that to in a way, because that's essentially what we're doing when we're signing these deals is we're signing a percentage of ownership. We're not necessarily selling our souls. That's dramatic. Um, But we're selling these pieces of ownership and we're kind of putting them in other people's hands. And I think that time and time again, we see that be like a really dangerous process for artists yeah i mean and i don't know if saying selling our souls is so far off you know (laughs) like yeah i think that's pretty uh call a spade a spade but obviously like not every deal is the same and not all not everyone's out to like rip you of your of your essence um but just so many of these structures are yeah it's it's commodity yo it's 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 racist it's like (laughs) super basic um and it's just hard when they they can mm-hmm. have such a an effect on 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 people's ability to to know that you exist to know that you have something to share so yeah it's it's weird man and i haven't quite figured it out cuz i do i do seek support that i don't have you mm-hmm. know um it's also not going to stop me from doing exactly what i'm doing so it's it's an interesting reality. What do you think the ideal balance between art and commerce is for you in your project? And when I say commerce, I mean, you know, turning your art into a viable living for yourself. For sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can personally say music making and and art has never been like truly money has never been the uh the thing the the, the like driving force like i i grew up very i just I've, I've always not had very much i am abundant though let's not get it twisted um <laughs> <laughs> and you know i don't want to just repeat a story of the past but i do feel like well, it's crazy because now I find myself, I'm literally, as of late, I've been cooking vegan food for like meditation retreats with my partner. So like, I feel like I'm my, even my understanding of like creativity and like things to do to, to create resources for so long, it felt very, all of my eggs in the one basket of like, I sing. And if I teach, then I'm, I'm, I fail because only teachers are failed artists that didn't do get to do their shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which like is all the ego trying to stifle possibility for the sake of like, I don't know. I don't even know. Um, I do think that, I mean, I also still feel blessed. I don't really do anything that isn't creative in my life. And that's how I sustain my life. Yeah. I've also like awakened in the last, I want to say two and a half years to like, just realizing that like what, what does any of this shit matter if like I have brothers and sisters in the streets who like cannot, I don't know, like eat a proper meal, drink clean water, not Mm -hmm. get raped. Like, and now that I'm communing more with my ancestors, um, through meditation, through plant medicine, through prayer, through just like people that I come in contact with, there's just so much unfinished business um, in my personal line, in my past lives. Like there's just so much more to like my scope of existing at this moment that I feel like 
I'm really, there's, I have 50 thoughts at once. I'm, what I'm trying to say is that if this shit is for money, like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be about it. Like, yeah. and at the same time, I have a lot of love to give. I feel that like young women, especially like just to, and I'm teaching more kids now too, just in terms of like private voice. I'm just like, oh my God, I just want to fucking love on people and like give whatever information I have. And the more resources I have, the in some ways, the more able I will be to do those things, to travel to the places I need to travel to, to give back in the ways that I want to give back. So it's a weird thing of like, it's absolutely not about the currency. And the abundance is a requirement for the type of work that I want to continue doing and expanding into. I know that was like very long-winded and maybe not the most clear, but... um, No, it was great. There's obviously a connection between the two. I think that if the reason for the season of what you're doing is commerce, uh, it's not it's not gonna be fun. <laughs> it's just not it's it's not the thing. No, it's definitely not the thing. And I definitely have so much of that like in my personal experience, just because like I kind of came up with like such a strong sense of financial insecurity, right? That mm-hmm. like there was a long period yeah. of just like my life, even pre-music, like how I waited tables where I was just so driven by this idea of like when I get X amount here, it's going to fix mm-hmm. this thing, right? It's going to fix this thing. And like I do that. I, I always forget people listening can't see like I point to my chest it's like it's not going to fix this hole that's here and it's just like having to go through those experiences and try that and and honestly like get some of it and recognize oh shit like wrong path wrong goal right wrong goal you better say because it doesn't because it doesn't work but you write such like I love your music so much because it's extremely poetic but also extremely political and so Mm. what do you think and and you kind of just touched on this like the role of artist is now when there are so many distractions and so many platforms we're expected to be on um and so many tiny little distractions from the core mission of you know who are you serving and and we're all serving different people perhaps right and so who do you serve and, and what do you view that role as? Tooth, goodness, these, you, yes. Um, oh, yeah, like I was saying earlier in the pandemic, I really like, I've died many times <laughs> in the last year or so, as I'm sure we all have yeah. um, in our different ways. But um, I just, there's two many people in our human collective that are being uh I like I my my literally my chest is like starting to beat so fast there's just um such a long line of subjugation and like ripping from one's essence that has that has been so strategically it's such a long game for how we got to the fuck where we are um, I just don't want to be asleep anymore. And I think that, wait, can I, I literally need to like take a breath for take just a, a moment. Take a breath. I might need to light some sage like in, in this <laughs> very moment right now. Light your sage, take a right breath. Here. So the deeper I get into meditation, I'm like, oh, 
oh, everybody's a projection of myself at a different <laughs> level of development in my life or another life or like a future life. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I'm like, okay, if everybody's me, like I got to take care. Like mm -hmm. I got to take care. Um, so I'm really trying to be in service of my highest self. And I think we all have this version of highest self that becomes like a high or collective body, you know, in a sense. Um, it's really, it's, well, I, like, I also like, it's hard to articulate these things without sounding so, I wanted this to be able to land for someone who maybe doesn't believe in anything unseen. Yeah, yeah. You know, bes besides the air that they breathe. <laughs> um, so the question is, who am I serving? Yeah. But I feel like you did just kind of answer that. Like you're serving everyone else kind of as this idea that we're all kind of here and one in the same to a certain extent. Yeah. There's just so much healing to be had. And if what I'm doing isn't contributing to that collective healing, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that just becomes so much more clear. Just so much more clear. Just really understanding that so much about how I just accepted, I mean, this country, this country, like the foundation, like we live on a graveyard, like everything about this moment, like there's just so much unseen fuckery that like, I don't know how to reel this in. It's just, yeah, I'm here for healing. I'm here for the uplifting. I'm here for the ending of cycles of damnation and for liberation. I'm here for the stopping of shame. I'm here for the stopping of guilt. I'm here for like actual deep, opulent self love and radiance um, because that's our birthright. And they tell us it's something else every fucking day of our lives. Um, so I'm hoping that in the excavating of my own, who the fuck I really am, my vibrations can somehow you know what I'm just stimulate that process in others, or maybe not. Maybe it's just a good night and it's a drink of wine and it's a memory. Maybe it's something else. So I, f I finally like came out in English words. Um, but yeah, that's sort of my feeling. I feel like, and I understand your attempt to like, this is a very big feeling and to want to like put a lid on it, to condense it, to translate it. But I also don't think that that's always like completely necessary like sometimes it's just like oh we're living through a big feeling we're living through a time where like maybe the lid was on for a bit too long and a bit yeah, too tight yeah, 100%. right and like <laughs> everything has right been contained in this like quote unquote right american ideal that we you know all subscribed to in one way or another whether mm -hmm. it worked for you or because you had to and now that mm -hmm. lid is off and like for me kind of watching the political climate and, and where the country is now, I'm just like, let's let's have the chaos of the big feeling, right? And let's yeah. have that chaos and let's be able to like live in that and and maybe it's um feels un I guess uncertain and chaotic, like I just said, but like that's fine and that's where healing can happen. I mean, how could it not, you know? Like let's all mourn our collective indoctrination that we did not even know was upon us since we came out of our mother's wombs. Like, let's do it together. Let's do it loudly. Let's do it lovingly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I love that. And, and quite honestly, like I feel that in your music and I feel that 
you know, it's, it's funny because I actually, while this feeling is big and large and chaotic, and I'm really interested to hear your album kind of, if you've been writing it in this kind of headspace, because I feel like the music you've released is actually very, like, it feels cutting and like, it feels Mm. like laser, laser focused. Um, and like songs like ornament, um, and, and melancholy and like all of these different things. And so, um, I feel that from you, just like this very deliberate, intentional, um, speaking to your experiences. Thank you. I appreciate that. Like, you're welcome. I'm a yeah. fan. I did. I, I did. A, I did all my research very happily. She said melancholy. You never even put that out. That was one live performance. I, I saw it you. online. <laughs> oh my god, that was a wacky show. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. I don't know how. How? What's your where? What is your? How's your heart? Where's your sense of? Uh, I don't know. Like. Um, no one ever asked me questions. How, how, <laughs> how, yeah, how you feeling, girl? How's your spirit? How's your soul? It's really interesting because it's simultaneously like the strongest and most like solid and healthy that mm-hmm, it's been mm-hmm. in a long time. But I think the representation of that health is that shit feels like it's falling apart constantly because Mm -hmm. I tend to be somebody who like I pull it together and right and so part of my whole experience especially in quarantine especially with my life essentially you said this earlier this like emotional breakdowns and things falling apart um Mm -hmm. and allowing myself to kind of live in that mud (laughs) Yeah. Right, without pulling it together. Yo, the flowers grow from the mud. The so, lotus yeah. blooms from the mud. You better say it. So it is really interesting that I, for me, it's like, I'm definitely the healthiest I've been, but the representation of that in my life is like, cool, I'm extremely uncomfortable, like all the time <laughs> and, and battling these different things and, and kind of going back to, and I think you and I are similar in this. It's like, there's a lot of ambition and I want to be everywhere and I want to, um, grow this, you know, you know, I'll say career, but this, you know, presence in the world so that I can talk to people and be able to like have these communities, but at the same time, just feeling like anxiety of like, well, how do I do that? And how do I do that independently? And, you know, it's like left brain and right brain are constantly having um, like a really bloody battle. (laughs) Duking it out. I feel that so deeply. I feel like this conversation has taken the best turns for me, <laughs> for, for me personally. Um, so like now that we're, we're reaching like the sunset of our conversation. And so yes. I would love to know what advice you would give to an artist who's just starting their career now from any angle. Yeah. Um, definitely ask yourself why you're doing it. Definitely ask uh if money wasn't an object would you still be doing it um and i guess i would say like 
Like, try to have a little bit of fun. Like, we make music for a living. Like, boo-hoo. That shit isn't, like, normal right now. Whatever the fuck that is. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. It's an extraordinary thing to be able to transmute emotion into this sonic thing that is shareable. Like, just the reverence aspect. (laughs) Just, like, have fun with it. Give, Give it time. I mean, I'm still like, as I said, stumbling with my guitar, but like when I give her time, like she shows me that things are possible that weren't weeks prior, months prior, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, also like, yeah, I think if I think if fame and money are, are a part of why you're doing it, just meditate on that. See if that's sustainable. See if that's something that you can um, <laughs> like feel joy with as you move through. Um, yeah, and also like truly uh, don't believe when people tell you there's certain, like even like, w- fuck what I say. Like if people have told you that there are like means to ends, have manager do label, play this show, have this uh, co-sign, da-da-da-da-da. Like nobody knows what they're talking about, mm. okay? Like people did shit and it worked. And then sometimes I try to replicate it and it doesn't work. And sometimes it does and like it just... I really don't adhere to the, you know what I'm saying? Just sort of the cookie cutter ideas of what it means to like move up in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm saying a lot, but just, just have fun, yo. Give love, be kind to yourself. And um, also remember that it's not about you. It's just moving through you. It's not about you. That's great. That's great. And then the music kicks in and it goes dun 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 dun. Anatomy of an Artist is a podcast created, recorded, and edited by me, Verite. It was produced by Vanessa Magos with the help of Yesenia Bonilla. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.